This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Tonight, we close out our series on Charles Manson. We'll start by looking at the murder of Donald Shea. We'll then talk about some discrepancies in the case involving the copycat killings and Helter Skelter. Finally, we'll discuss why Charlie never faced any parole violations and possible CIA involvement. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. Congrats, you made it to the fifth and final round. Stick around and face the final boss, the CIA. This is Necronomapod. Fifty years now, I see why people are still interested. The sex, the drugs, the, the fame, the notoriety. I think the public has been fed some untruths. And this whole thing has been glorified and glamified and blown out of proportion. And do we believe in brainwashed zombies out killing people. I mean, is he 100% responsible for these crimes? This helter-skelter thing, when you look into it deeply, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I believe the unanswered questions are, the big one is, why were these crimes committed? Um, I don't believe that there's an impending race war, or I don't believe Charlie believed there was an impending race war. Watchdog. We're not talking about recyclables. We're talking raw garbage. Investigating your concerns. How do you even know what we're doing? He won't back down. Try to be fair to you. I don't want to. I'm trying to be fair to you too, Mr. Monday. Now, for the next hour, it's the best of Carl Monday. It's our guy, Carl Monday. How do you follow that? You don't. Mike Tuesday. You'll never match that. <laughs> I, I feel like we should just play the entire clips of Carl Monday. Just publicly shaming people. Deservedly so. Yeah. He's almost gotten his ass beat lots of times. <laughs> he's like, very confrontative. <laughs> he's super confrontative. Oh, yeah. He's right up on people. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, oh, Sergeant, stay at home. Milking the clock, I see. <laughs> He was very good of walking that fine line between fucking around and finding out. I wonder if he ever found out. I don't know. Well, they would never air it, probably. Mm, I bet he got popped before. No, yeah, it's, so. it has to have happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unless, like, we don't even realize he's, like, a black belt in jiu-jitsu or something. <laughs> he's just fucking taking limbs. <laughs> they swing at him. Should have kept a copy of that personal check he wrote us for the old uh, Streets really of Fairview video. Would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's legendary Carl Monday from Cleveland, Ohio. I can't believe it was just last week we were speaking about him. I felt like that was forever ago. Then again, it feels like we started Manson back in 2022. Here we are in February recording this shit. What's this the in, what? uh, Epstein, right? It's <laughs> only right. five parters. The, the uh, illustrious five part club. When Epstein wasn't ever supposed to even take place. It's true. How about that? 
No, that is true. That was one of those uh, forbidden topics, and it just kind of snowballed from there. This one, though, I mean, this had been requested forever, and I feel like, Ian, you were just always like, ah, we'll get to it. Like, it's not one of the, like, it's not the Dahmers or the Bundys or, you know, the Scientologies or the Jonestowns. This wasn't, like, the sexiest of topics to cover. What do you think now? Well, then Tom O'Neill released his book after (laughs) taking 20 years to write it. Mm. He did a thing. Yeah. He had some stuff to say. Kind of blew this whole thing wide open. Which is what all of part five is going to be based on. Yeah, this is pretty much all based on his book, Chaos. Yeah, and I would recommend anybody to go out and read the book, Chaos. By who, Tom? Tom O'Neill. It's interesting. I, I was following that guy on Instagram. I sent you guys the clips earlier where he's saying that the L.A. District Attorney, even just last year, reached out and wanted to talk to him about some of the stuff. Like, And so I clicked on that, and but he's only released part one yeah, so Yeah, part one to be continued. That'd be really interesting to see what came of that. Yeah. They're still going after him about his book. Wild. And that came out when? When did his book come out? 2020, I believe. Okay, so it came yeah. out later, but yeah, still two years later, they want to talk to him about it. He's ruffling some feathers somewhere. Clearly. Yeah. Well, I think it's been long established on the show that maybe the LAPD doesn't have the best history of investigations. And what I included here are just the things that I felt were really uh, important, but he goes into all kind of stuff mm. just shit that doesn't make any sense at all poor police work that seems to be poor on purpose mm. you know just all kind of stuff it's crazy and a lot of it just how vincent bugliosi was wrong mm-hmm. that helter skelter was just his narrative that he pushed like that was not what this was about at all that's what everyone remembers from it like that's the it, main thing that book is the top selling True crime book of all time. Amazing. Over 7 million copies he sold. Wow. Why is that? Because, like, in general, I don't think Charlie Manson is necessarily the biggest true crime name, is he? Maybe, but not enough that it would just be far and away the best-selling book. I think the fact that he's considered the end of the the 60s, like he killed the the 60s. Yeah. And he kept himself in the public eye in prison. Yeah, he, he did a, a whole character. lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would talk to anybody who would listen for the Corral- as far as Corral- news. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a lot of a good part of that interview. I, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, that was good stuff. Like, neither guy was going to back down. Of course, Geraldo's not going to back down. <laughs> right. That's why he's a, he opened yeah. a goddamn vault, for fuck's sake. He doesn't back down from anybody. <laughs> That's why he lives in Cleveland now, because he's a fucking badass. That's where right. badasses move to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah it's i don't know it's interesting to me that like you hear so much about manson there's maybe not as much substance as you would think relatively speaking to like the big name serial killers or cult leaders even um and then like you said like the best-selling book i don't know there's something going on here well, like it's the trial was crazy the we, trial what like we we covered that last week yeah yeah I and mean, that was like nationwide news, everybody was yeah. wrapped up into that. And you see Sadie and uh, Patty and Leslie, you know, skipping down the courtroom wearing those dresses <laughs> and singing. They have the X's carved in their foreheads. It's a sight to behold. Yeah. And it proved a lot of people's points that were against the hippie movement, too. That's really why he. It's fair. Or how he ended it, because everyone was able to say. 
look at those hippies. Look what they did. Look how weird they are. Like, and so maybe that point about him ending the hippie movement in the end of the 60s is exactly what the CIA and the FBI was trying to do. So, chin, chin. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into part five. Before we start, uh, last week I had a typo in the outline. I said Rosemary LaBianca was swinging the lamp tied around her neck to keep Patty and Sadie at bay. I meant to say Patty and Leslie. I had Sadie in the outline. You stupid motherfucker. Like, what, where? what, what? <laughs> what was that? Sorry, I spoke over that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Who do you think you are putting out even shows anymore? Fucking messing up names like that. Goddamn, pal. Yeah. Why do you Sadie shoot? didn't go in the LaBianca house. Right. Or the other place. I wish you had the Michael Scott bit. Like... <laughs> Why do you choose to <laughs> So why are you the way that you are? I'm just trying over here. Thanks for clearing that up. You're welcome. For Patty and Leslie, not Patty and Sadie. Correct. Sexy Sadie was off on another mission. So where we left off on part four, we wrapped up the official story of Charles Manson and the family members. Like we just said a little bit ago, this is mainly based all off of Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos. There's some interesting stuff out there from paperless archives which that's one of my favorite sites to get research from this for. Okay. Um, I've never been on there. There's some really cool stuff on there. Even like not necessarily true crime stuff, just all kind of interesting things. Mm. And this stuff will, you know, we'll be able to debate at the end here what we think happened. Dave, last week you brought up the murder of Donald Shorty Shea. I did. Yeah. There is not a great spot to put this in uh, to talk about him as far as like a timeline goes. So just jump right into it. Before we go further, <laughs> <laughs> Donald Shea was 35 at the time of his death. Um, he was a Hollywood stuntman and he was the longtime caretaker of Spawn Ranch. Also, notably, not a fan of the Manson family taking advantage of George Spawn. Was Cliff in uh, the Tarantino movie modeled somewhat partly on this guy? Yeah, I believe Seems so. Like it was, yeah. Please don't give a spoiler, Steve. This week. <laughs> too soon pal <laughs> it is a really good movie though i would recommend some anybody to watch that it's entertaining for sure i believe you've named that as your favorite tarantino movie i would not go that far myself i actually watched good, it though. twice you were looking at me you, when you said you mean no, Ian I was looking at yeah, okay i was yeah. like i haven't actually seen that one dave is it better equal to or maybe a little less than inglorious bastards i think less i like yeah. i didn't i didn't love it and that was it was okay okay I love Inglorious Bastards. That's good. All right. Once upon a time in Hollywood's my next Tarantino film I'm going to watch. And I will. That's not like one of those kayfabe lists. That'll be on the real list. Is that the only film of his you've never seen? Oh, I'm sure not. I'm oh. sure there's a, oh. probably a oh, few. Okay. But I think I've seen all the big ones, though. There's only like nine of them. Hmm. Nine or ten. I'd have to look at the list and see. But there, then maybe, I mean, there's there can't be many. But I'll watch that next. Let's let us know if it's Ian's favorite. Come on, but also you know, he recommended uh, fucking soda pop or whatever to me, so I had to do that too. Outsiders, that was, yeah, we meet him both. Did. I know, fucking great. I'm just saying, both of you are on probation <laughs> with me right now when it comes to recommending books, at least. No, you would like it because you like Leonardo DiCaprio. And you like Brad Pitt, so I like. Yeah, both are good. Yeah, I know I would like it. I like. I've not seen a Tarantino film I haven't liked. It'd make a lot more sense to you now if you would, after the story, if he would have watched that before learning this, he'd be like, what, <laughs> what just happened? But then, so that speaks to like, 
not to derail this too much, but like how many people have seen that movie that don't know this story? Yeah. There's got to be a lot, a large amount. I don't know. Yeah. Like even people that know who Charles Manson is like I did, but I don't know his story. There's got to be a ton of people that just saw the movie and were like, Oh, Tarantino's got quite a mind. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> is there, is there a foot fetish scenes in it? Isn't, doesn't he known for like all of his foot scenes? Tarantino. Yeah. He likes feet. Yeah. Particularly Uma Thurman's feet. All right. Some gratuitous shots of her feet and kill bill. She didn't care. Right. Mm-mm. She was doing only fans before only fans was even only fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, go to fucking your local Cinemark and you can pay and, $3 for a ticket, eat some popcorn, and look at my feet. Not bad. I want to fucking do some ninja stuff. So the accepted theory as to why Shea was murdered on August 26th, 1969, was because Charlie believed that Shea had ratted on them to the police, which resulted in that raid on the ranch on August 16th, where they were taken into custody for dune buggies and all kind of guns were found. Charlie told family member Bruce Davis, Tex Watson, and Steve Grogan to ask for a ride to a nearby car parts yard on the ranch. According to Bruce Davis's parole testimony, he said, quote, I was in the car when Steve Grogan hit Shorty with the pipe wrench. Charles Watson stabbed him. I was in the back seat with Grogan. They took Shorty out. They had to go down the hill to a place. I stayed in the car for quite a while. Then I went down the hill later on, and that's when I cut Shorty on the shoulder with the knife. After he was, I don't know if he was dead or not. He didn't bleed when I cut him on the shoulder. When I showed up, you know, he was, he was incapacitated. You asked if he was unconscious. I don't know. He may or may not have been. He didn't seem conscious. He wasn't moving or saying anything. And it started off, Manson handed me a machete as if I were supposed to I mean, I know what he wanted. And I, in fact, I did touch Shorty Shea with a machete on the back of his neck. Didn't break the skin. I mean, I just couldn't do it. And then I threw the knife and he handed me a bayonet. I don't know which side it was on, but I cut him right about here on the shoulder, just with the tip of the blade. Sort of like saying, are you satisfied, Charlie? And I turned around and walked away. And I I was sick for about two or three days. I mean, I couldn't even think about what what I had done. He's big on making sure everyone's involved. Yeah. That's nice. Then. He doesn't want to leave anyone out. That is very nice. of Charlie all inclusive. Like if they were picking up teams, like he probably would take the, the shitty kid first. Like just want to make sure everyone gets a chance. Real good guy. Yeah. Well, nice guy. I mean, from my experience, Dave, in like school, like you always take the sh- the best kid last. That's why I was always picking. Right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's right. They were like, yeah, we're safe. We're like, we're going to save him. And it's going to be a fight at the end. And then you get picked. And who wants who wants Mike? Yeah. No, you can have Mike. No, we want Mike. You're like, oh, they're fighting over me. You want to know a, a, a real fun fact about uh, young Mike? I am a fantastic defensive specialist in dodgeball. You can catch the ball pretty well. Catch and block. I will always be the last one in, hmm. but I can't throw for shit. So it's just it's going to be over at that point. Like I don't have the arm to really throw and get get people. So like I can catch your ball and get you eliminated. Okay. But like when it comes down to like the throwing duel, then mm. I'm in big trouble. So that's interesting. You know, if one of you want to team up, if one of you have a rocket arm, let's let's team up. We'll be ultimate. I'll catch your balls. You throw my balls. <laughs> it's a fair, fair deal. Yeah. His remains were found in December of 1977, buried on Spawn Ranch. Steve Grogan, 
who was one of the people convicted of Shay's murder, drew a map leading police to his remains. Um, and that raises the question of lots of other people that end up going missing that had run-ins with the family. Mm. You know, they're suspected of killing a handful more people, you know, five or six more people other than him. But he's confirmed. I mean, they found him. Yeah. When we talked about the Cielo Drive murders last week, we said that the media came up with the phrase live freaky, die freaky, which the documentaries I watched, uh, there's one that was newer, to make you believe that Roman Polanski was this grieving husband that the media was just ripping apart. We talked about a sex tape being found at the house, which was returned to Roman Polanski, but Vincent Bugliosi made it seem like it was this innocent tape made between Roman and Sharon Tate which was discreetly given back to Roman Polanski. In reality, it was Roman Polanski filming Sharon Tate being forced to have sex with two men. Like it was a straight up rape. Mm. Um, Has this been validated? Has anyone seen this? Police officers that have gone on record saying that they've that they saw it as evidence. Wow. There was also uh, people close to Sharon Tate saying that you know that this was not a good relationship. Mm. That it was really abusive. Well, he's clearly not a good guy. I mean, he later on sodomized the 13-year-old, and he's been out of this country because he'd be arrested if he ever came back. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's guy. a pedophile. Yeah, Swell he's guy. a pedophile. Yeah. Give him, give Chris Hansen 20 minutes with him. That's all I want. <laughs> I want Chris Hansen to get 20 minutes with that guy. What it looks like, Mike, is that you came here <laughs> to smoke weed with a 13-year-old girl, and then whatever was going to happen was going to happen. That was when uh, Chris Hansen interrogated Mike a few weeks back. Anybody who knows me, that's false. I don't do a weed ever. In Roman Polanski filming this type of video, Sharon Tate wasn't the only one. There's lots of allegations of BDSM films being shot at Cielo Drive, but not. So he had a whole vibe going. But not consensual ones. There's this guy named... That doesn't sound fun at all. No, absolutely not. So, Frykowski, who was one of the people killed uh, at the house that night, he had a friend named Witold Kazanowski. Kazanowski would talk about parties that went on at the Cielo Drive house, and it wasn't a typical Hollywood party. It was more like Dennis Wilson partying, where people mm. could just come in and out, random people which that leads to speculation, did Manson and them ever, you know, party there during the time that Sharon Tate and them lived there. Right. Bottom line, it's probably not the clear-cut narrative that we've all heard about No, since day one. The Bugliosi theory was the helter-skelter, and his main point was that Charles Manson and members of his family murdered everyone at Cielo Drive to scare Terry Melcher. Like, this is what I could do to you. Also, the fact that this was a wealthy white neighborhood would help kick off Helter Skelter, the race war. Then the LaBianca murders were just the further Helter Skelter, making it look like the Black Panthers were behind all of this. And that's what they got the conviction on. I mean, murdering all those people to scare Terry seems like a bit of overkill, right? It just doesn't make that's sense. crazy. Terry Melcher testified that he had met Charles Manson on three separate occasions and that Charles Manson had never been to the Cielo Drive house while he lived there. Because remember, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski moved in after uh, Terry Melcher. The last time Melcher said that he saw Charlie was on May 20th, 1969, two months before the Cielo Drive murders. 
Stephen Kay, who worked in the Los Angeles DA's office, said that through witness statements and evidence for the Tex Watson trial, he found credible evidence that Charlie and Tex had attended at least one party at Cielo House while Terry Melcher lived there. Stephen Kay went on to say that he corroborated that information with Greg Jacobson, who was the Beach Boy songwriter and hung out with Charlie and Dennis Wilson all the time. And I think it almost be fair to say that he was closer with Charles Manson than Dennis Wilson was throughout that period. Okay. In Stephen Kay's opinion, Charlie sent Tex and the girls to the Cielo house the night of the murders because Tex knew the layout. Sandy Gibson, who also worked for the Los Angeles DA's office, felt that Vince Bugliosi was covering up for Terry Melcher. Like as long as Terry would testify to certain details, Bugliosi wouldn't bring up other details. Sandy Gibson provided evidence to go along with those claims in the form of handwritten notes that were written by Vince Bugliosi. These notes had also been crossed out, presumably by Bugliosi. So Melcher was Doris Day's son, a big Hollywood you know, star. Was Bugliosi a big Hollywood star fucker who would have you know, given preferential treatment to Hollywood-type families? Maybe that's some of it, trying to protect Melcher. I mean, they had to have a lot of money, right? Sure, they would sure. be very influential. I don't know who, who was on her record label. Was it, it was Day, or, uh, was it Day Records? Oh, I have no idea. She owned the record. She was the one that actually owned. and okay. Yeah. So Terry Melcher was a producer, but his mom was pretty much the one in charge. Well, it's easy to get a job when your mom owns the company, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest signing they ever had was probably Incubus, right? I think that was it. Incubus? Yeah. Oh. Other than that, I don't know. I think that's who Doris Day signed. <laughs> she discovered them in Reno, Nevada once at a little casino. That's what I read. That's some really in-depth music knowledge out of Michael. <laughs> I did an investigatory. Good. did an investigatory. I'm an Incubus enthusiast. <laughs> okay. The notes were regarding statements from Danny DiCarlo. Danny DiCarlo was a member of the biker gang, Straight Satans, and helped Charlie build that whole cache of weapons, including the fully auto machine gun. These notes describe three visits by Terry Melcher to Charlie and the family after the Cielo murders. So if Bugliosi was correct in that this was all done to scare Terry Melcher, there should be no reason that he's out visiting <laughs> right, Charlie right. afterwards. Uh, for context... The August 16th bust in these uh, in these notes is that big raid done by the LAPD when they found all those guns. Note number one. DiCarlo released 72 hours after the bust on August 16th, went back to Venice for a few days, and then went back to Spawn Ranch. Week or week and a half later, went up to Barker with Tex and Bruce Davis in a flatbed truck. Manson and four or five girls left at the same time in a car Rest of the family stayed at Spawn. Between time that DiCarlo returned to the ranch and time he left for Barker, he definitely saw Melcher out at Spawn Ranch. Heard girls say, Terry's coming, Terry's coming. Melcher drove up in a Metro truck by himself. Melcher stayed for three or four hours. Three or four days later, DiCarlo saw Melcher in the same truck. Note number two. One and a half weeks later, DiCarlo saw Melcher with Gypsy and Brenda at the bottom of Golar Wash near Ballarat sitting in a car with the girls. DiCarlo was with Sadie, Tex, Manson, Bruce, and Dennis on foot. 
All of them got into Meltra's car. Charlie took over the driver's seat and drove to Ridgecrest and picked up a 59 Buick. DiCarlo and the rest of them drove off, leaving Melcher, Manson, and Brenda in the car that they had. That's the last time witnesses saw Melcher. Danny DiCarlo testified at trial that he never saw Terry Melcher after Terry's May visit, mm. uh, 1969, which if, if these notes are true, if this is Vince Bugliosi's notes, which you know Tom O'Neill had photocopies of them, he saw them, got photocopies, mm. so... But if this is true, then the helter-skelter theory is done. Implodes the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. The other argument that's made about Glenn Jacobson, Dennis Wilson, Terry Melcher, is that it's hard to believe that they didn't know who was responsible for the Cielo Drive murders as soon as it hit the news. They had all heard him talking about this whole race war shit. Mm -hmm. I made a note here that I didn't include in the outline. Let me read it real quick. Um, yeah, like they'd have to be pretty dopey not to put two and two together, right? It, the, yeah, because Glenn Jacobson, he actually testified that they all knew. So uh, they all being Dennis Wilson, all those guys knew that Charles Manson had shot Bernard Crow, lots of Papa. Mm. They knew about that. Jacobson also testified that Manson had warned him multiple times that Whitey uh, was going to be all cut up and dismembered in their Bel Air homes. So as soon as this happened, you don't know for sure, but I think it's a stretch to say that Dennis Wilson, Greg Jacobson, mm -hmm. Terry Melcher wouldn't have known immediately who was responsible for this. That makes sense. Yeah. In mid-August, Charlie broke into Glenn Jacobson's home in the middle of the night, woke him up, and handed him a bullet and said, tell Dennis there's two more where this came from. Well, what did Dennis do? Why is Charlie threatening him? Is, is he like partly to blame for the Melcher music stuff? The whole uh, cease to exist, the lyrics getting changed. Oh, they're stealing and, a song. Yeah. yeah. A few days earlier, Manson showed up. At, Wils at Dennis Wilson's house demanding $1,500 and said, don't be surprised if you don't ever see your kids again. So he was, Jeez. the threats he was making to people, this group, they would have had to have known who was responsible for this shit. Yeah. He didn't just, political piggy and helter skelter and war, all those, the things were written at the crime scenes. That was like his, the way he talked, they had to, have, as right. soon as they saw political piggy on a wall, they sure. would have had to have known. Sure. Manson seems to have some big balls threatening all these people. Like, did he have the backing of this biker club? Is that, was that really the extent of his muscle? Cause he's just a little guy with a bunch of girls around him. Right. I think it goes to what we talked about in part one, how he learned how to not get fucked with eventually in jail to mm. survive through that life. I just feel like the, the resources that Melcher and Dennis Wilson could have put together to take care of this if it was really a problem. It seems so easy. Like, like we said last much. week, he's a stupid criminal. He's a dumb criminal. Yeah. He's not good. These things don't seem well planned out. If you wanted to eliminate this guy, you probably could have eliminated him. Yeah. He seems to just be a dirty hillbilly on a ranch with yeah. some girls. Right. He's, he's, and I don't. Am I missing the backing of the biker gang and their strength and all that? You know, I, I don't know, but I just don't see how he's that intimidating. What I guess until you, you know, eight people are dead, then maybe he becomes a little bit more intimidating. 
after that, I think they got scared yeah, for yeah. real. All right. That's fair enough. Yeah, the last note that I had here that I didn't include about all this stuff, according to the Beach Boys official biographer, because they have one that they just employ, I guess, mm. to like take down their statements whenever. It's like the personal stenographer from a Chappelle show. That's for real what it sounded like. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, According to him, Dennis Wilson said, quote, I know why Charles Manson did what he did. Someday I'll tell the world. I'll write a book and explain why he did it. But he ended up dying not too long after. Shady. Something very shady was going on in this relationship. It was not just Charles Manson showed up at Dennis Wilson's house one day and The party kicked off. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Office had records of an interview with Paul Watkins. He was the family member who testified against Charles Manson. And a lot of the Helter Skelter stuff was built around Paul Watkins' uh, testimony. He ended up saying in those interviews, those were not shown at trial, that he saw Terry Melcher at Spawn Ranch the first week of September 1969 which lines up with notes about Danny DiCarlo seeing Melcher with Charlie. Notes from that interview. Melcher was on acid, was on his knees, asked Manson to forgive him. Terry Melcher failed to keep an appointment, called him a pig. They are all little piggies. Helter Skelter meant for everyone to die. Charlie gave Greg Jacobson a forty-five slug and said to give Dennis Wilson this and tell him I have another one for him. But so this written notes here never made it to his actual testimony in the trial. No. Got changed a little bit. Yeah. Or a lot bit. Because this kills the Mm -hmm. helter-skelter motive. Interesting. And it lines up with Terry Melcher not showing up that one time. Charlie had that whole place cleaned up. Spawn Ranch, he had the whole family league working to clean everything and be um, put on this awesome performance. And then Terry Melcher no-showed him. This kind of alludes to Terry Melcher being in some form of debt to Charlie. Bob April, a member of the family, said that Charlie would supply girls for executive parties that Terry Melcher threw, which we know Charles Manson looked up to all the pimps in prison. He aspired to be one, so it's not above him to do this. Mm. According to Bob April, Charlie went off the rails because Terry Melcher had him play in front of Terry's mother, Doris Day, and she said, quote, you're out of your mind if you think I'm going to produce a fucking record for you. And pretty much laughed in Charlie's face. <laughs> he had an okay voice, I guess. It's all right. Minus all, you know, the terrible shit. We listened to that. His one song. I liked his voice. I almost think mm. that Doris Day saw Charlie for what he was, which is this dirty hippie, you know, fucking petty criminal. Mm-hmm. And maybe Melcher, Dennis Wilson, you know, the drug use and the partying and they saw him for what he, the charismatic version. Yeah. So they were all in on him. And then maybe, you know, mom's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. He certainly didn't deserve a record deal. I'm just saying his voice was okay. (laughs) You can like him, Mike. It's all right. His voice was okay. I stand by that statement. I would not have signed him for a record deal. That's going to be Mike's first tattoo when he has to get one that, that Manson crazy, Mugshot, tramp stamp. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize you guys get to pick it. <laughs> oh, that's part of the deal. Oh, oh. You don't remember that part? That has never been said. 
there's the whole copycat theory that these murders were to get Bobby Boussoulet out of jail. Bobby was arrested for the murder of Gary Hinman, where Bobby wrote political piggy on the wall in Gary's blood and drew the panther paw next to it. Charlie maintained that the girls came up with this plan to commit murders in wealthy white neighborhoods to make it look like the Black Panthers were behind the murder of Gary Hinman. So then Bobby would get out of jail like, oh, shit, all these other white people are getting killed. So we're going to let him go because he's obviously not our guy. Right. It's the worst plan ever. <laughs> Charles Gunther was one of the detectives on the case that interviewed Bobby Boussoulet. It was Gunther's opinion that the sole motive for the murders was to get Bobby out of jail. According to Gunther, a call from Bobby to the ranch was recorded from jail, but never presented in trial. Bobby said, Charlie, I've been arrested for killing Hinman. I need help. Leave a sign. The word pig being written on the door in Sharon Tate's blood at the CLO drive house, in Gunther's opinion, was the sign that Bobby was referring to. Paul Whiteley was Gunther's partner, and he said that he also heard the tape where Bobby said, leave a sign, and he believes in the copycat theory as well. Hmm. If you believe the copycat theory, um, it definitely wasn't Sadie's idea, or, you know, the Manson girls. It wasn't their idea to do this. Charlie definitely put them up to it. Yeah. You know, he's full of shit on that. And that's what he maintains in his book. He says that they approached him with this idea, and he said, fine, just don't tell me about the details. Would Buglio see not like this angle because it would be harder to paint Manson as the the ringleader? Is there more deniability that it was the girl's idea to, to come up with this plan as a copycat murder? I think it makes it a lot harder, yeah. It yeah. seems more of a group thing. Like You can't really pinpoint down. With Helter Skelter, you can say it was that indoctrination the mm. lsd mixed with him just non-stop talking about the book of revelations helter skelter right. and now it's the time to kick off the race war when he decided to if it was just some dumb plan to get bobby out of jail that's a lot harder to convict manson on i think i would say so yeah i think the biggest question with this is why was he never sent back to prison for violating his parole I've been thinking about that all week. I hope you have a good answer for me. <laughs> We're going to solve it right now. <laughs> There's a little weight to that copycat theory. Like, that could be true. Melcher was definitely more involved than he said. He definitely hung out with Charlie more than three times. It seemed like a lot of people had a lot to lie about here. Um, a lot of lying. But there's no reason that that should keep him out of jail. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever lost a job, had a bad breakup, or simply just felt stuck in life? Ever wish life came with a user manual, much like our cars or appliances do? Wouldn't that be great? Lost your job? Turn to page 63. Just got dumped? Turn to page 32. Feeling depressed? That'll be on page 104. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. However, BetterHelp Online Therapy is basically the next best thing. So the next time you're feeling stuck, why not check them out? BetterHelp therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, all done online. Therapy can have many benefits, be it learning new coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma, or even having a clearer mind. 
Look, everyone deserves to feel their best, and BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. They're the world's largest therapy service and offer all the benefits of in-person therapy, but are more convenient, accessible, and more affordable. After filling out a brief questionnaire, you'll be matched with a therapist, and from there, if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist whenever you'd like. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. So get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Preston Gullery, the arresting officer of Charlie, said that he raised questions about Charles Manson never violating his parole. He said that a policy was handed down from someone higher up to, quote, make no arrests, take no police action toward Manson or his followers. He noted a specific incident where LASO picked up Manson for statutory rape, but he was immediately cut loose. It's the L.A. County Sheriff's Office, right? Correct. Gullery was 100% certain that LASO intelligence or some other intelligence unit had been watching Spawn Ranch for a very long time. He also said that he had seen memos about Charlie with cover sheets to hide the documents within that went straight to the captain. Gullery ended up going to the news station KCAL as a whistleblower to get an investigation started into why Charlie got away with so much. KCAL didn't really do anything with it, and he was fired from the LASO. Is it possible that Manson was involved with arms dealers or bigger drug dealers, and they were actually being investigated by other agencies, and that's why they wanted to keep him on the street? Possibly. It seems like he was a such fish. a shitty criminal, though, that I don't think he could he could do that, could he? His track record doesn't seem so. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he was an informant of any Not type. at all. I don't think so. Like he's you, too stupid and too much of a loose cannon, too. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you give him those guns or whatever to deal, he's going to use it in some kind of petty crime and get fucking arrested. Like, Maybe he wasn't aware of the investigation. Maybe they just felt he was a major player and he was a good part of the, I don't know, the food chain that was keeping their investigation active. I don't know. But I still I'm think if he had those arms or whatever, he would have used them. Yeah. I think, at least up to this point. Well, he had a big gun supply, right? He had a fully auto machine gun. Yeah, they had been... It wasn't a crazy amount of guns, but it was more than you need. Yeah. I'm just wondering if someone kept him out of jail purposefully. Not that he was who they were going after exactly, but maybe just part of that whole broader investigation. I think someone definitely nudged him along mm-hmm. this whole journey that he went on after he got out of prison. Like a guardian angel. Yeah. Whether that be the <laughs> LAPD, the LASO, mm. CIA. Interesting. Within the search warrant for the August 16th raid, Deputy Sheriff William Gleason noted that, quote, Charles Manson was on federal parole for Grand Theft Auto. 
proving that LASO was fully aware that Charlie was on federal probation and should not have been let go after that raid. The search warrant for the raid also included an incident from an officer, Williams, from LAPD. And he told Deputy Gleason, quote, that within the last two weeks, he and his partner were on duty at Spawn Ranch. Mr. Manson was bragging to the officers about the weapons available to him and his friends on the ranch. Mr. Manson told the officers that while he was talking to the officers, that his friends had rifles trained on the officers. This is standard procedure whenever officers approach the ranch. On duty, what does that mean? What are they doing yeah, there? You said duty. <laughs> <laughs> it's like poop. Poop. Like what are they doing there? A lot of unanswered questions in these memos. And also, you know, you got to remember this is 1969. They're not punching up, you know, cross-reference checks on warrants and things on computers. Is it just possible they weren't aware of the federal parole violation? Is that possible? Like we've talked about in the past, like serial killers and whatnot, who they, you know, like with Ted Bundy, this department didn't coordinate with this department. You know, he was doing the same thing, but they never cross-referenced the MOs on that because it just wasn't set up to be able to do that. I think it's possible. I don't think in this situation, no, based on the people we're going to talk about later. So we feel like these are willful, not negligent overlookings of like being on parole or whatnot, letting him go. There's at least one person that it's provable that they willingly, that they, they try. They, yeah, they, okay. they moved this along. Fair enough. I'm just trying to ask the hard-hitting questions here to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> LAPD's Ted Lee said that three loaded ammunition clips fell from a dune buggy while on the highway around July 29th, 1969. Pretty much like watched these things fall out and was able to directly attribute it to Charlie, but nothing was done. Officer Lee also said that he was part of a team that flew over Spawn Ranch on August 1st, 1969, as part of a surveillance operation, but that was, it was never described to him or explained to him what the surveillance was exactly for. It was noted that the family bragged that, quote, we have a guard at each road to the ranch with a rifle and a telephone, so if anyone comes in, we will know they're coming. Another note from Officer Lee detailed that Charlie, telling a fire inspector, quote, don't try to play the man because the next time you try it, you'll find yourself hanging from a tree upside down dead. It's I just, don't know, man. Big balls for a little guy. Well, he said in his book, like right off the bat, he said he learned how to play the insane game. And the insane game was acting like you're crazy and scaring people. Yeah. You know what? The LAPD is crazy, too, though. And if you fuck with them, I expect them to come down <laughs> hard on you. And yeah. they didn't. Just historically, the LAPD is not an organization that you fuck around with. And that you're telling their officers tell there that they have guns trained on them. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem wise. Like you said, someone else higher up maybe guiding this whole thing, whatever this thing might be. Another incident uh, that happened on August 24th, 1969 was when the owner of the property adjacent to Spawn Ranch called LASO for trespassing. Police found Charlie and 17-year-old Stephanie Schramm in an abandoned cabin having sex. On a table beside them, there were seven joints, so Charlie was brought in for felony marijuana possession, statutory rape, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, but he was immediately let go. Now, this would have been after the CLO Drive murders. 
that he was arrested this time, brought in, and then let go. They weren't under suspicion yet, right? No. Mm-mm. Well, first off, the, the term felony marijuana possession should not even <laughs> exist. Like, that should not be a term. <laughs> Ridiculous. After a while, it gets unbelievable that it's yeah. negligence. Yeah. Like, after a while, it becomes clear, like, someone is helping him not get in trouble. I think that's right. Yeah. So getting to the potential of why regarding COINTELPRO or CIA's Operation Chaos, which they both kind of serve the same purpose, discredit the left. the Kill the hippie movement. Yeah. Fuck the hippies. Martin Luther King Jr., you know. Yeah, Mike's boyfriend Bobby Kennedy signed off on wiretapping of Martin Luther King Jr. What do you have to say about that? Based on uh, what he was uh, strongly told to do by J. Edgar Hoover, mm. who was a known racist and uh, anti-communist. That's a fact. That Bobby is Ken- a fact. Bobby Kennedy accepted J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover is not a good human being. As much as people try to make him out to be a hero, he's a piece of shit. Maybe a future episode. He's a terrible person. Yeah. We'll get into that maybe one day. It's just funny because every year you get the same establishment. Well, uh, I would like to go on the, for the record. Uh, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, his family invited Bobby to sit front row with them and walk in the first uh, row when they were doing the funeral yeah. procession. Well, this was he much, was accepted. This was much earlier. Yeah. 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 yeah he was, I was just busting your balls. It came out during his presidential campaign that he had, oh, quote, wiretapped. It was Jagger Hoover who was pulling the strings on that. He was attorney general. Yeah. When Bobby was attorney general. Yes. And he listened to Hoover as he probably shouldn't have because, you know, Hoover had a hard on for trying to lock up anybody who was posing a threat to what he deemed. Sure. Which is amusing every year now on Martin Luther King Day, all the establishment. Oh, Martin Luther King. This is when we remember. Well, it's yeah. not really how things were back yeah. then. You didn't treat him well. No. Then, but let's pretend. You weren't unhappy when he got mm-hmm. killed either. And most right. uh, Americans were not a fan of his. So we have this revisionist history going on every year where we lie to ourselves and tell us that that's how things were. But yep. Colin Telpro would be a fascinating episode. Oh, yeah. All the people like Hollywood and everyone that had FBI files on them. You found out later and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like they literally assassinated Black Panthers and like they went hard. We'll get killed. We start doing these <laughs> disappear. They'll disappear. That's the kind us. Of stuff. I, I would love to get into some of this stuff, but you got to be careful with some. I mean, overthrowing foreign governments and propping up dictators and the list goes on and on and on. The CIA really is like that super villain oh, yeah. in, the, in the background. You know what we should do? We should hire Carl, hire Carl Monday. There you go. And go fucking after this. After the CIA? Yeah. All right. Carl, go do a CIA investigatory. <laughs> cool Bring down back your media, cool down media back. pays your tabs. Send us the receipts. You get $12 a day for food. Mike Namapot. It's a can hell of a per diem. Mike well. Namapot can live off that for four days, if you're mean to be honest. You go tear down some governments. Let's go. Let's go, Carl. <laughs> We fucking brought you back. All right. 20 bucks a day. I'll give him 20 bucks a day per deal. That's very generous. I understand. It's like $6.66 a meal. I'll also also give him an extra 10 bucks for nightlife. (laughs) To do with as he chooses. How much? 10 bucks for nightlife. Every night? Yeah. Holy shit. But it has to be nightlife. You won't even pay Declan. You're going to give Carl all this money? (laughs) Have you seen the work Declan does? It's fucking drizzling shit. (laughs) 
I had a fucking, he was begging me. He goes, please don't fire me for my sister with the big cans. Please don't. I go, all right, fine. You set up an Instagram, you run it for me. I'll give you one month's probation. And you maybe stick around. We'll see what happens. He might get fired. Was he Ben Shapiro? He's got the sister with the big cans he's obsessed with. <laughs> I'm obsessed with. Oh, you're obsessed. Yeah. What, that, what was her name? I forget her name already. Destiny. 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 Come on, right. man. Sorry. Meanwhile, Declan makes talk fucking nothing. But, you know, he's doing the socials. Or Declan. He's, doing, he's a good boy. He's trying hard. He's making shit for, you know, a living. But whatever. It's not my problem. Go get a fucking real job. What kind of future does he have, Mike? You're supposed to be giving him real world experience. You're the one that took him on. He's getting real world experience. Life sucks and then you die. Quote Vince McMahon. That's what happens, pal. Sorry. You either make it for yourself like we did or you don't. What are you going to do? At one point, I just wanted to hang out with Ian and drink beer and watch old wrestling. Guess what? Now we're successful. What's Declan doing? Fucking sucking our teats, trying to just make famous. You can make it here, Declan. You can make it anywhere, yeah. baby. Guess what? You're probably not going to make it, though. The fucking Navy Seals a podcast. Good luck. By the way, if you got big cans, you're probably going to make it. Big cans. Oh, boy. We'll see. Well, he's got a second chance. He's doing all right. You're a good boy, Declan. Yeah, he is a good boy. Daddy loves you. <laughs> oh. Cointel Pro, tell us all about it. <laughs> so remember back to part three. Shiroka Tommy was an Iranian photographer and close friend of Sharon Tate. Hatami was the one who testified at trial that he confronted Charlie when Charlie came to the house looking for Terry Melcher. Hatami said Melcher didn't live there anymore. Maybe go check the, the guest house in the back. Hatami said that he received a phone call at 7 a.m. on August 9th, 1969 from an acquaintance of his named Reeve Whitson. Hatami said that Reeve Whitson informed him that he found a murder scene at the Cielo house. The problem with this is that in the official story, the housekeeper found the scene at 8.30 a.m., meaning Reeve Whitson should not have known about these murders. Acquaintances how? That's what everybody wants to know. Oh, okay. Afterwards, everyone's like, yeah, this Reeve Whitson guy was always around, but we don't know where he came from. Mm. Doesn't even sound like a real name to me. It's Reeve Whitson. Reeve. Like that's made mm. up. Reeve. It's like six degrees of Charles Manson here. Like all, all these people are connected through this weird thing that no one understands. You think it's like uh, sisters? You think Kevin Bacon was a part of this? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Bacon. You could take this Reeve Whitson guy. And everyone we've talked about in this story so far, you could probably connect most of them back to him that he had some form of an interaction with them at one point. He was Roman Polanski. He was one of his friends. He was friends with Sharon Tate, mm. but just loosely, just kind of always in the background. Like on the periphery. Yeah. I see you on the periphery. <laughs> this guy. What are we feeling? You I can't know wait that we're feeling you. out in Vegas. <laughs> Sorry, I talked over. Play it one more time. I'm not editing it. Just oh, play. okay. What are we feeling? You know that we're feeling you. <laughs> okay, Zach. Thanks. Touching me, touching you, sweet Caroline. Ba ba ba. I mean, that's what he's going for, right? Like, come on. 
That is one monotone motherfucker. Not like us. We have great vocals, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I actually like the way oh, we yeah. kind of duetted on that. Sure. We don't have to come That's up. good. Yeah. And also, Reeve Whitson is clearly a CIA cover name. That's not a real name. That's a terrible name. That's, that's, like, that's not a hey, name. Hey, CIA, could you come up with anything better? <laughs> Reeve that Whitson. is 100% a cover name. Hmm. I smell bullshit. Yep. So Tom O'Neill, who wrote the book Chaos, filed a Freedom of Information Act request on Reeve Whitson because he got in contact with the close friends and family that he could of Reeve Whitson, including his ex-wife and his daughter. And they all said that he was in some kind of spy work, either for the CIA or some type of a front organization. The Freedom of Information Act response was, quote, we can neither confirm nor deny that Whitson was an agent, which, according to Alan Shefflin, who has made a career out of studying the CIA and writing books about them, he says that this is the closest thing you will ever get to the CIA confirming that someone worked for them. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to get that response. Hmm. Like, I feel like when you give me a, we cannot confirm nor deny, I'm like, ah, so that's a oh, thanks. confirmation. Thanks for confirming. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when asked about Reeve Whitson, Bugliosi said that he didn't know who he was, but that contradicts what court records show because it was Reeve Whitson who brought Hitami to Bugliosi's office to make a statement about seeing Charlie at the Cielo Drive house. That's not weird at all. Furthermore, Hitami later said that Whitson had coerced a statement out of him by threatening deportation back to Iran. And Hitami believed that Whitson was someone in the position to make that happen. Didn't know what he did, but that he was important enough that he could make that happen. I mean, if that's true, almost certainly the Manson family was being monitored that night. Yeah. Not just watching the ranch, like actively monitoring. Someone followed them to that location. They were under some form of surveillance, whether it was really for the dune buggies and all that yeah. shit, because the, the LAPD is not just going to do the biggest raid that they've ever carried out for the hell of it without with not having, you know, a lot of surveillance done. Yeah. They had to have been watching Spawn Ranch for some time. Yeah. Or maybe someone else led them to that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it wasn't them watching maybe it was right. CA watching and they said go in and raid them mm-hmm. Whitson was written out of the official version of the story in Bugliosi's Helter Skelter but he shows up in a manuscript for an unpublished book about the murders titled Five Down on Cielo Drive the book has three authors Robert Helder who was the LAPD lieutenant who headed parts of the investigation Roger Lajeunesse an FBI agent who unofficially helped the LAPD and Colonel Paul Tate, a military counterintelligence officer and Sharon Tate's father. Whitson shows up in that book under the pseudonym Walter Kern and is described as a police groupie. Paul Tate had been conducting his own unofficial investigation because he didn't buy the helter skelter stuff. And Walter Kern was some mysterious stranger who was just kind of along for this ride and Lieutenant Robert Helder nicknamed him Mr. Anonymous. Can you imagine being a police groupie? What does that feel like? Ed Kemper was a police groupie, right? Yeah, he always wanted to hang around with them. (laughs) They had a little nice stick up the asshole type action, maybe? I don't know. What what are you doing after hours? Come on. All right, I'm just asking questions. Uh, Helder wrote, quote, 
In this business, as you might imagine, a policeman gets to meet many strange people. Kern was among the strangest. No one knew what he did for a living, yet he always seemed to have money and knew just about everyone on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't like him, but he was useful. That's what everybody said about this dude. People hmm. in parties were like, yeah, you could get, you could probably get some drugs through Reeve Whitson. Like he was just a man of, like you said, just chilling in the background. Yeah. He was the social chair of Hanging all the parties. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He probably just big bags of Coke is what it sounds like. I wouldn't know, Dave. I don't do, do a drug. I don't do a like, drug either, Mike, but I'm just supposing. Okay. I've seen movies. Me too. Not well, many. I've seen one. <laughs> a close friend of Whitson's told Tom O'Neill that Whitson believed he could have stopped the murders and that he had Manson under surveillance at the time, which that would explain how he was able to call Tommy with the news before the bodies were even found. But... That still doesn't explain why Charlie never had his parole revoked. It just shows some evidence of a potential CIA agent having him under surveillance, or at least hanging around this mm-hmm. whole scene. Being aware, following him, not necessarily with his foot on whatever was happening. Right. That brings us to Roger Smith, Charlie's parole officer that we brought up way back, and I think it was part two. He might have been brought up in part one. I can't remember. I don't either. Um, but remember Charlie was paroled in Los Angeles and when he called to set up communication with his parole officer, Charlie was transferred to a criminology department on quote unquote accident. And that was one that Roger Smith worked at. I still don't understand this whole thing. Like how did he assume like control of his parole? Like that doesn't happen. What does that mean? Right? He's not a parole officer. No, he's not. How did they give him <laughs> jurisdiction over it? It's, it's really odd. Leads to a lot of questions, Dave. <laughs> there are a lot of questions in this. Roger Smith was part of two federally funded studies, the San Francisco Project, which was a study on parole practices, and the Amphetamine Research Project, which was a project on the side effects of speed or violent behavior in street gangs. Both of these projects were funded through the National Institute for Mental Health, which was one of many institutions used by the CIA as a front during MK Ultra. Do we need any refresher on MK Ultra? Chin chin. <laughs> An all-encompassing mind. No, just a no, no. Like a mind control. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, I thought you were asking me. You were <laughs> cutting him off. He's giving you a fucking answer, pal. <laughs> An all-encompassing mind control program that the CIA ran way back when. Yeah, there's. What was it? it came out in the 70s it was revealed that they were doing this stuff there was a bunch of hearings about it but there was also the there was orders put out to destroy the evidence so there's only i think was it twenty thousand? i think we talked about recently on another episode that that's all the files that are left over mm-hmm. but it's not a conspiracy thing it's a lot of it's been proven yeah it's real yeah and all the projects we're going to talk about tonight are real So eventually Roger Smith had all of his assignments dropped, except for one, being the parole officer of Charles Manson. Roger Smith encouraged Charlie to move to Haight-Ashbury. Just so happens, Roger Smith's speed research project was being run out of the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic, and that clinic was founded by a Dr. David Smith. One of the reasons that the Free Medical Clinic could offer services for free was because they were doing federally funded research. 
Dr. David Smith had big grants from the National Institute of Mental Health, which we just said was being as a front for MKUltra. Um, and those grants were to study the effects of illegal drugs. The most well-known researcher working out of the free clinic was a guy named Louis Jolson West, a psychologist who was 100% a proven contractor for MKUltra. His research specifically involved using speed, LSD, and mescaline as a combo to induce aggravated states in subjects. It's more of that smoke, you know, because these are all drugs that we've talked about in this series. Charlie said that he hated speed. Anytime someone brought up speed in interviews later on, he'd get real fired up and be like, I don't fuck with that shit. I didn't want that stuff uh, on mm. Spot Ranch. That's where he draws all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> LSD nonstop. They were dropping acid. He sure seems like he's on speed every time we see him in an interview. <laughs> he really Manson. does. Yeah. Um, and they were selling and using mescaline. That's what the whole issue with Gary Hinman. Or that's right. Yeah. According to some people, that's what the issue with Gary Hinman was. Dr. West shows up all over history. He examined Lee Harvey Oswald's assassin, Jack Ruby, who reportedly developed psychotic delusions immediately following Dr. West's visit. He was brought in to cure Patty Hearst of Stockholm Syndrome. He was also responsible for the famous LSD experiment that ended up killing an elephant, where he was trying to induce an aggravated state that occurs when elephants are mating. But the one thing that's really interesting with this guy is that everything he was trying to do wasn't necessarily, it was mind control, but it was all towards aggressive, violent behavior. Mm. That's all this guy seemed to be working on was could, could those drugs maybe in the combination or something like that, could that make someone violent? And maybe kill a famous actress and everyone in the house with her one night for no <laughs> apparent reason. For literally no reason. There, yeah. I, you can't figure out what the motive is in this story. No, not at all. Dr. West's big claim to fame was deprogramming Korean War POWs who had been brainwashed. This is the type of work that kicked off MKUltra. But really, what he was doing was more Project Artichoke, which was specifically geared towards creating a Manchurian candidate, someone who could be programmed to carry out a mission and have no memory of it. And another project that fell under the MKUltra blanket was Project Mass Conversion, which Dr. West had a hand in. This was to use informants to infiltrate street gangs or political movements in order to create a shift in, quote, basic moral, religious, or political matters. Oh, okay. So COINTELPRO or chaos type stuff infiltrate these groups and... Like shift their thinking, literally? If you could use drugs to shift their thinking, then, you mm. know. There's a lot of people that say that Charlie was using techniques that Dr. West would use in how he talked to people. Mm. He never took the amount of acid that everybody else did. There's a lot of people that say that Charlie was pretty close to being sober a lot of times when he was doing this shit with the Helter Skelter stuff, and everybody else was just tripping. Okay. That makes sense, I suppose. That doesn't seem like fun, but that's like being sober DD when everyone's hammered. You're like, this sucks. Why don't we just get an Uber so I can drink too? (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) I try to do it once a year. One time a year, I will allow myself to be DD. Yeah. I hate it. It's not great. It's not fun. (laughs) I feel like I'm doing God's work. Sure you are. And then I, you know. The next day, I get alcohol poisoning. Got for it. 
It was also found that Dr. West had been working on a book he never published titled Experimental Psychopathology, The Induction of Abnormal States. Like Alabama and Arkansas? (laughs) Oh, you mean like mental states? Never mind. West Virginia, pal. Really? I mean, we're going to look at one. (laughs) Among his files, Tom O'Neill found a press clipping dated from 1963 about Dr. West's address to a psychiatric association in Oregon, where he said, quote, We are at the dawning of a new era, learning for the first time to produce temporary mental derangement in the laboratory. Temporary mental illness affects in normal people. Oh, yeah, great. Glad we're at that dawn of a new era. (laughs) Asshole. That's why we said earlier, like, supervillains. These MK Ultra doctors are like supervillains. Fuck you guys. Dr. West also had a hand in Project Midnight Climax. You know who else has a hand in that? This guy over here. (laughs) Project Cucks Across America. Well, you're not wrong, Dave. I know. I rarely am, Mike. I rarely (laughs) am. It's a different kind. We bring a a good form of Midnight Climax. Okay. Uh, you know, well, you use roof and all instead of uh, mescal. It's a lot easier. None of that. I, how dare you? <laughs> Ruhip, no roof and all. What is it called? Ruhipnol. Ruhipnol. Sorry. No. It's just, <laughs> is that right? It's beta cucks who hit me up and say, hey, I can't pleasure my girl. I would like you to come get involved. Okay. Sorry. And that is it. There's I'm sorry. Drugs for- involved. <laughs> That I am a part of. Sorry for mischaracterizing your business. Whatever they do before or after I am there is on their own terms. Fair enough. And my documents that I have them sign will show henceforth. (laughs) I saw saw a comment online. I don't like what it's good. (laughs) On Reddit the other day. Because I just like nib around on our name. I know exactly what you're talking about. And someone commented and they're like, why do they talk about cuck holding all the time? And like the comments back are like, I don't really know why they do it. It just happened. I was like, I'm a a new listener of Necronomapod. Why does the one host talk about cucking people all the time? I started laughing. Hey, if you have to ask, you've already been cucked. (laughs) Anyways. We talked about. Uh, Project Midnight Climax in our episode that we did on MK Ultra way back. That was where the CIA would set up fake brothels throughout the Bay Area. Sex workers would bring these guys back, dose them with LSD while CIA sponsored doctors watched behind a one way window, like the mirror through the window. Can you thing. imagine? Unreal. Dr. West took that type of research and implemented it in his research at the Haight Ashbury Free Clinic. He set up fake crash pads for hippies, and then he had grad students dress as hippies to take notes on their behavior under LSD. Tom O'Neill proposed the idea that this was an MK Ultra experiment that went wrong, as in no one was supposed to get murdered. However, CIA expert Alan Shefflin says, quote, no, an MK Ultra experiment gone right because it ended the hippie movement. Which that was what it was all about. COINTELPRO, Operation Chaos. Destroy the left. Stop the counterculture. Yeah, I mean, you know, in this day and age, I think we kind of forget the kinds of things our government's done in the past. And it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And, I mean, MKUltra is real. Yeah. You don't need 
like the crazy David Icke conspiracies about reptilians and you know yeah. the one world government and all that kind of or nine eleven's an inside job, all that stuff. Just look at MK Ultra, look at you know, Project Stargate. That one's you know, that's the remote viewing one. That's not necessarily super nefarious or anything, mm. but there's enough crazy shit that is proven that we've done and that we'll never know. Oh yeah. The amount that we'll never, never know, know the scope of it. Of it. Sure. It's a shame. Cause I sure like to, I'm 100% convinced that this was MK ultra related. Are you? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So that's your final thought. Yeah. MK I think ultra that related. some, I think that he was nudged along very similar to Jim Jones, just kind of nudged along. And then this happened. I don't think that they planned for him to actually kill Sharon Tate specifically. Like, I don't think there's a file out there that was like, here's how we're going to do this. But they nudged him along like they were nudging along a lot of other people throughout the country in the Black Mm -hmm. Panthers and Mm -hmm. places. And this just happened to work out right for them because this was the thing that killed the movement. And it cleaned itself up. They all went away and there really wasn't any evidence for this. Yeah. Until now. Until Tom O'Neill started digging, which yeah. he started working on his story in 1999. He's been wow. working on it all these years. If all this is true, I mean, it is fucking wild. Charlie was definitely not an agent. or You know, he wasn't no. flipped. He's too stupid. He, was, he wasn't a smart guy. No. It does seem that there's a lot more of this story than... The common narrative suggests one thing that is 100% for sure to me is that the helter skelter motive is absolute bullshit. There's nothing there to that. There's no way that he went there to scare Terry Melcher and, or that he sent them there to scare Terry Melcher. Uh, What did Manson have to say in all those interviews in prison after all this? I don't remember. His thing has always been that it was the girls and text. It was their idea I was just, you know, it's all peace and love. I was just there. He talks about mm. shooting lots of Papa. That was something different, though. Yeah, he sticks to the the copycat theory. That's what Charlie always says. The girls came up with the idea to get Bobby Boosley yeah. out of prison. And then because of the lots of Papa thing, Charlie went to text and said, hey, fucko, you ripped this guy <laughs> off. I had to shoot him. And Charlie thought he killed him. So he was like, I had to kill a guy for you. You're going to go help them. I don't want to know what you guys do, but you're going to go help them carry out their plan. Right. I think that that's very more plausible than the helter skelter shit. Mm -hmm. And that seems, I know you lean towards Manson being a bumbling idiot, like all of them. I think that theory points to them just kind of bumbling along. Yeah. It's not a good plan. Uh, No. Like that would never get Bobby Boosley out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a plan, I, I I think, with a lot of this. I still stand by that. No, maybe there's someone behind it with the government and, you know, the MK Ultra thing with Manson. I think that that makes a little sense to me. Like, maybe that's why he doesn't have a set plan and he's not clear on what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. There's also some, some weird stuff in here with his PO. I brought up earlier that Roger Smith would go to court hearings for Manson family members and like speak on their behalf as character witnesses and stuff. Like if it got to the point where they were actually in front of a judge before the murders, before the murders, he did this multiple times. 
another interesting thing that just popped in my head about Roger Smith was that um, in his thesis, he wrote about the importance of keeping parolees out of jail to continue to study them. So you don't just keep getting the same or a different prisoner or a different parolee. Every time you can focus on one parolee and see how they track react. them. Yeah. So keep them out of jail. Don't let them go back. Someone or something definitely was involved and was helped pushing along this, whatever this was, this Manson path to, you know, wherever it ended up. And there seems to be a lot of documented ties back to CIA and, you know, in, individuals confirmed to have been involved in MK ultra and whatever else. So yeah. it fits. Yeah, I don't I think, think that this is something. the end result was what they were planning. But like you said, it worked out in the end for them. It wrapped itself up completed their their objective and kind of swept itself up in prison and, and took care of itself in the end. I'm not sure exactly think, what the specifics are, but something was going on here. Sorry, go ahead. Do we think MK Ultra CIA so like they wanted to kill the hippie movement? That was part of Like that's what we think like this was the this was the be all end all then for them. Uh, yeah, I mean well, like this ended it. All the counterculture people were considered enemies of the state, whether Martin Luther King or Black Panthers or hippies or Abby Hoffman or all those people. I get that. And I know this might be what ended it. So then, like, we think that maybe in the government's eyes, this was a su- success. Yeah. And then, oh, Sharon Tate's dead. And all these, you know, other people are dead. They're just it's collateral. Okay. Collateral damage. Yeah. I think the CIA would 100% be very happy about this. Yeah, I don't think it was their stated objective, but once it happened, like, what are they going to do? They're not going to come out and go, oh, sorry, it's not really what we were trying to do. Yeah, you wouldn't you would never know. So I wouldn't yeah. say they're necessarily happy about it, but not sad either. Not what they were shooting for, but it, they happy with the broader outcome, I guess. Yeah, I don't think they probably give a shit about the collateral damage and no, these things not. either. You can't be involved maybe in stuff not. like that and worry about collateral uh, damage. Well, maybe maybe they didn't think it would get that big, you know, a Hollywood star or yeah, something sure. like that. And then if that Reeve Wilson guy, if that's true that he made a phone call before anybody else found the scene, he yeah. and if he felt that he could have maybe stopped them, he had to have been surveilling them yeah. enough to know that they would go to that house. That just goes into damage control at that point. Make sure that you wipe your prints off of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question one. Final thoughts on this Charles Manson thing. The whole case. The conspiracies, the cults. Is is there something we need, we need to kind of revisit and talk about a little more? I think they were just dopey hippies that like to do drugs and got kind of carried away. But I think someone kind of was guiding some of this activity somehow. You think at maybe least some surveilling CIA it and stuff. providing yeah. whether drugs or some sort of other material support the f- behind the scenes. The fact that he didn't get picked, uh, any of those parole violations like sticks out to me a lot. Like any of those, yeah. they'd be looking for an excuse to lock you up. Yeah, sure. Not none of it. No. None of it. No, someone had a hand in, in helping this along. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and and I still stand by what I said last week. Like, he's a sloppy criminal. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. But maybe today we we put some 
um, evidence as to why he wasn't a good criminal. Maybe there were higher powers kind of controlling things. Maybe so. Yeah. I think he for real thought he was thought of himself as Jesus Christ. I think he thought that of himself, yeah. but why did he think that of himself? It just his own bullshit, his oh, own helter skelter. Oh, you don't skelter. think there was any outside interference in that? No, not in the helter skelter stuff. I think the helter skelter stuff really was him being fucked up on acid, not as fucked up as everybody else was, but he has all these women and you know, following every command of his. You buy into it. At some he was point. a real cult leader. I mean, yeah. for real. You know, we don't we didn't talk about that aspect of it as much. But I mean, he was a cult leader, more or less. Sure. Yeah. No, and I still stand by not a great one, but still a cult leader. Yeah. Nonetheless, enough to that he pointed and said, "Go here." And they they listened to him enough that yeah. he was able. You know, told them where to go. Or was it their idea? I don't know. Yeah. Or was that his idea? Mm. Was he? Did he think up the Bobby Boussoulet idea? Maybe. You know? I don't know. And he told them if you get caught, then you say it was your idea. Who knows? It's a, it's a crazy story. It's one of those ones you'll just never know the answers to. Mm-hmm. But I'm 100% convinced that the CIA was involved in this. Well, it sure seems like it, doesn't it? MK Ultra. Too many coincidences here. Too many links. I think that this is like that guy, the Alan... Shefflin said that it's a MK Ultra experiment gone right, that it worked out in their favor. I think Jonestown was one that went bad. Mm. I think that was fully a MK Ultra project to see what happens when you put people isolated like that in a controlled setting where they are given drugs and in that situation with schizophrenic medication and pump them full of communist views, how that works, because we hated communism. Sure. And it just it went off the rails. Yeah, that one got away from him. Yeah. Spoiler alert, that one didn't go well. Yeah, like that one went wrong. <laughs> and then Sir Hint, Sir Hint, allegedly. Yeah. Unabomber. We know that he was subjected yeah, yeah, to some of yeah. it. And there's a famous one that we can do an episode on someday. The scientist that ended up falling out of a window. I remember that from our brief MK Ultra show. Yeah, we can do a full episode on him someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I said... Before we, you wrap that up, Ian, I had two questions. First one was your final thoughts. Yeah. Second one was, how awesome would it be if Culver's delivered right now? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be pretty Like, good. come on. I think they're closed. I know. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Uh, if yeah. they would. If they were still open. Uh, can you imagine right now, just <clears throat> let me put in a fucking big ass order at Culver's. With that, Dave looking I mean, at me you're like you're looking at can me we make like I'm being ridiculous. Do you have like, a, a hotline we can call and get not, them out of bed? Is that not the greatest thing of all time? If we could just have Culver's delivered right now, it would not suck. You know, this last Sunday Fuck. took a drive over to Arthur Treacher's, the last Arthur Treacher's in the country. Yeah, they're closed on Sunday. Oh, I'm like, oh, are man. you fucking kidding me? <laughs> uh, so most people don't even know what Ar- I think Arthur Treacher's is. Well, it used to be a great fish and chips place. Yeah. They were all over. About 25 miles from here. Almost like a Long John Silver's type. But better. Much better. But but was Long John Silver's bigger at some point? No, I don't think so. No, was Arthur Treacher's bigger? I might be wrong, but I think I Arthur Treacher's came first. I know both, but okay. Last one. Right here. Close to us. Last one in the whole country. You're right Not there. on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have gotten? Like a three piece, five piece. Give me all your pieces. Oh, just lots of fish. 
Fish and chips. Malt vinegar and fish. Yeah. Mm. Man, Nothing better than fried fish. I'm so hungry now. Mm. I'm going to London in May. I can't wait to eat You're so You're going to have some good fish, fish and chips, pal. You're going to have some good fish mm. and chips. The best. That's all I got on this. Yeah, I did. What else you I got? I didn't mean the derail. What's your third question, pal? No, that was it. I only hit two. <laughs> I just wonder if Culver's would still hit us up, you know. Yeah. It makes me want to get into and finally finish the Promised Land stuff and do that last episode. A lot of that. people waiting Wait, for Wait, what? Yeah. You didn't finish that? <laughs> do that last episode. That's what this got me back into, like, thinking that shit. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I really wonder, like. You're really building anticipation for that last episode. <laughs> A lot of puddles being made right now, Ian. A lot of people waiting for that. The fact that you even brought it up, I hope your DMs are ready for that, Ian. We'll see. People are going to be asking. I got called out for it at our trivia thing. (laughs) Yeah, I would really be interested, you know, if you could see someday how many things the CIA has been involved in. Yeah. Like, or how many things that they knew were going to happen but didn't stop, maybe. Turned a blind eye to some things in history, maybe. And that's just the things that we kind of have a hint about. Yeah. Can you imagine what we don't know? Like, think about what they know or what the government knows that we don't know. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. And, And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's right. There's probably some things that maybe the American people shouldn't know because it might create panic or chaos or whatever. Correct. I'm just, but when you think about like, what we already think they know. Now imagine what they actually know. Well, it's y- probably tenfold. Sure. That's the thing with MK Ultra. There was only tens, you know, a couple of tens of thousands of files recovered because there was the, the orders were put out to destroy everything. Um, and what we know was found by accident. Mm. We weren't supposed to know about this project at all. So they say that's all that was out there and they stopped doing it. Uh, or you know and they stopped the program but i don't think you do something for at least 20 years probably more than 20 years and just abruptly stop no you know and say oh it wasn't a successful program well then why did you do it for so long if it wasn't successful and why were all these Mm -hmm. these mini operations underneath of it right and then you think too about people like that stereotypical homeless person or something that says that the government took them and, and did something to them and stuff. And you think that person's fucking crazy. Yeah. That's Maybe what not. they were doing with MK Ultra. A lot of people, they were just snagging homeless people or just grabbing people and American citizens. Yes. USA. <laughs> USA. Hmm. We're a fantastic country. And it's like, you may, who knows that person could be telling the truth. Sure. Really? Yeah. It's scary that they did something to him. I remember and there was, um, I think it was on it. It might not have been Project Climax, but there was that one. <laughs> there was the one thing we talked about in our episode on MK Ultra where they were dosing people on the beach, just walking around dosing people's like, drinks and just sitting back and kind of watching like how everyone was interacting on the beach. It's just complete insanity. Yeah. Could you imagine if you're just sitting on the beach, no. like having a good day, and all of a sudden you start tripping? No. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. No. It's a scary thought that they're just fucking controlling you like that. It's scary that there's people that think up these things, like really, really smart people think up these kinds of things to do and then are given the money to execute them. Yeah, that's right. It's like Nazi 
experiments to a degree Very you similar. know sure. just some it's it seems like something just like pops in someone's head like oh, i wonder if i could just change someone's thoughts you know and you're smart enough to actually do that and then given the money to do it yeah it's scary well on that uplifting note <laughs> <laughs> It was such a good final episode. <laughs> we spent the last nine months discussing this. Um, all right, Dave, what do you got on Patreon? Uh, thank you to new patrons. Uh, Dave's Wiener. Okay. <laughs> I saw that one earlier. <laughs> Taylor Rutledge. Annihilate this bussy Necronama daddies. Okay. I will. Sure. Sure you will. <laughs> do you know what a bussy is? No. It's like a male pussy, like in gay culture. Male pussy. Ah, okay. I'm going to order a show. I'm down. Mike's on his way to you. Hey, holes is holes, Dave. I know. I know it. Georgia Bell, Jim Leahy, Ashley Pitcher, Jordan, Meatballs Are Forever. God damn right they are. (laughs) Laura Catherine Koss, Jay Chavez. Tiffany, Amanda Anderson, Gentry Conklin, Hunter 802, Johnny B, Rob Myers, Amanda Hug and Kiss. Love that person. <laughs> <laughs> JC Miller, Colleen Fitzgerald, Tamisha Kidd, Ushi Leverman, Huck Me Farter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I get it. It means fuck me harder. <laughs> Nothing gets by you, pal. Mm. Jack Buckley, Ruby, Hopeless, Drea C, Nina Hauk, I fucked your mama pod. <laughs> Jesus, that's aggressive. <laughs> Bailey, Jennifer Averett, Mark Chavez, Ian's Midnight Sponge. Oh, Midnight Whoa, Snack, buddy. They want to get eaten. <laughs> 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 Maddie Ice. Mike Pence loves mommy tits. <laughs> he well. Hello, mother. Show me your titties. It's not a wrong <laughs> name. David Detroit and Jordan Reen. Thank you so much, new patrons. All right. Thank you guys. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I've won for TurboGen 2. This is Mom Sense. Rain Gatewell. Lynn Mars and Rotsuko. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Thank you very much. Dave, you got anything else? I don't. I have no international reviews. I have no military shout outs today. What the fuck? Not today. Where are people overseas? <sighs> I mean, not the military people. I understand that. Get, They're busy. Get to us in your They're busy time. kicking ass. Yeah. Taking names. But you're fucking everyone else. You're Europeans who are just fucking lazy, just drinking lattes all day. Lattes. Like, come on. Let's go. It's summer in Australia, right? What are they doing? What are they lounging at the pool? Yeah. Drinking Fosters. Eating uh, shrimp on the Barbie, probably. (laughs) Like, I don't know what the fuck they do over there. Kangaroo kebabs or something. Well, they can't beat a kangaroo. Like, the kangaroo will eat them on kebabs. (laughs) But probably. (laughs) Fucking bitches over there. Send a kangaroo over here. See what happens in America. I'd like to see Mike fight a kangaroo. <laughs> I'll fucking throw down with a kangaroo. I have some uh, special we have some gift shout outs. Yeah, we got some gifts. People sent us some cool stuff in the mail. It's all you, pal. I have a shout out to Beverly, who sent us some nice Christmas gifts. We got some candles. Some cool stuff, right? 
I got a, uh, when this candle is lit, it's time to lick my clit candle. So I threw that away. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not going to send me a gimmick thing uh, that's going to lead to nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. It was very nice. I lit it. It smelled like a, like a vagina. So, yeah, you know, without a clit, obviously. <laughs> but. A clit-free vagina. Yeah, huh? Of course. <laughs> Um, Dave, you got a nice like a uh, cinnamon toast crunch candle. Lit it in my office yesterday. It was delightful. Hmm. Thanks, Bev. I got a Doja Cat calendar too. That's also going to be hanging in my office. Look at that. And then Ian, you got some Doja Cat stuff. Yeah, I got a Doja Cat Pokemon card. And <laughs> put that in my uh, in my book with the rest of my Pokemon cards. Like I'm a 12 year old. <laughs> and what else did you get? Uh, an asking Alexandria mug. Your favorite band of all time. Yeah. According to me. Yeah. Look what it's turned into. Now people send me asking Alexandria stuff. There's always Thank like you. stray comments on YouTube every once in a while. Oh, asking Alexandria's not that bad. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Those are very good gifts. Yeah, very yeah, cool. Thank you. Uh, also, thank you to Ginny. Uh, Ginny sent you a nice Evil Dead shirt. That's yep. pretty fucking cool. Very cool. And uh, shout out to Molly for that very cool Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, drawing she sent you. I like how we have it up there, and literally his head is cocked the same way as Stone Cold Steve Austin's head. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It's Declan, take a photo of this. You gotta post that. Quit looking at your sister's tits and get in here. <laughs> you fucking idiot. God, this guy. Ugh, I hate this guy. All right. so, but anyways, it's a great photo of Stone Cold Steve. Yeah, Austin. it turned out awesome. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who yeah, sent super those cool. uh, gifts. Appreciate it. Anything else? We good? That's all I got, man. It's been a long five weeks. That's all I got. Moving on. Moving on to something really fun next week. Oh, yeah. You want something fun next week? Yeah. All right. We'll have a good time next week. Yeah. I think. It's gonna next be- couple weeks, maybe. Next week is interesting. Next week is uh, a very obscure story that I had never heard of before. And And you've been excited about this one since December. Yeah, and a lot of people haven't heard about this one because the original print of the book, you know, it was printed a long time ago, and you could get a copy for like (laughs) $1,000. Last year, a second edition was printed, so now more people have seen it. So. It's it's interesting. Mm. Super cool. If that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. Nice. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod. Patreon.com. Search Necronomapod. Um, I think you can go to Spring and search Necronomapod for our gear. Look on the merch. link tree link. Direct link's a lot easier. That's on the link tree. I know. I agree. It's all there on the link tree on all of our socials. Click that. You have access to everything. Appreciate you guys tuning in every week. And also listening. one more. Can I do one more? Of course. Show suggestions, inquiries at necronomapod.com. Yes. Inquiries at necronomapod.com. I'm keeping track of those. I'm up, I'm up to date on those. I know, but they continue to come in all over the place. So oh, yeah. A lot easier to, yeah, to, folks. to corral if you send them to the email address. We're going to tell you right now, if you send them to us anywhere else other than inquiries, it's not going to happen. <laughs> inquiries <laughs> at necronomapod.com. Send it to the, that email. 
and it will be logged on our list. It's impossible to keep you. track of when it goes to all these different places. I agree. And, you know, and there's, we had a bunch of DMs and messages about various things. If you want to request an episode, send it to inquiries. We will, I promise you, it will make our spreadsheet of our list of topics. Now, I'm not saying we're going to do it. We have a ton of topics. But it gets reviewed regularly. It gets, I, I check the email every couple days. Add us a list. It's there. And every month we use that list to maybe help us with our, our sure calendar. Did. Absolutely. So inquiries at necronomapod.com <laughs> for your requests. Anywhere else? Deleted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It had to be said. It has to be this. It one. has to be said. Inquiries at necronomapod.com. Can't wait to check the emails tomorrow. <laughs> like, what the yeah, fuck? fuck you, man? <laughs> There's also a good chance that what your people are requesting is already on our list. We have a lot of subjects, but that's okay. Send them. No, I love I'll the suggestions. It's yeah, just I'll impossible to, to keep track of everything in all these different places. It has to go exactly. to one place. Yeah, I've exactly. learned about some cool stuff in the past couple years that I've never heard. Absolutely. Never heard about. Great listener did. suggestions. Yeah. Yeah, no, keep sending them in, but send us to, to the inquiries. That's it. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>